0: May 8, 1950 was a mild spring day that began like any other. For brothers Emil and Viggo Hoygaard, it meant another Monday of backbreaking work at the Bjarzkovdal peat bog, 7.5 miles or 12 kilometers west of the town of Silkeborg, Denmark. In those days peat, a sort of muddy material comprised of dead plants, was used as a household heating alternative to coal or firewood and was highly sought after as a result. Luckily, Denmark had mass quantities of peat, which could be found in bogs throughout the country, though no one at the time knew the wonders that lay hidden just below their murky surfaces. After digging in an area just 200 feet, 60 meters away from solid ground, the brothers happened upon a body under 8 feet 2 inches, 2 and a half meters of peat, Much to their shock and horror, it appeared to be fresh, so much so that the skin was still intact, and the pair felt that they had a recent murder victim on their hands. The corpse was male, and had been placed in the fetal position. The recent disappearance of a boy in the Danish capital of Copenhagen caused the brothers to fear that they had, in fact, stumbled upon his body. Little did they know at the time how wrong they were. He wore a sheepskin and wool cap on his head, and a leather belt around his waist. Aside from that, he was completely naked. Most sinister of all, however, was a rope that had been tightly fastened around his neck. Needless to say, the local authorities were notified and came to investigate the matter. Upon their arrival at the bog, police were baffled to discover that there was no evidence of recent digging or trespassing within the area. Further scrutiny of the body made them reconsider its supposed freshness. The sheepskin and wool cap, for starters, was by no means a recent fashion, and had, in fact, not been worn anywhere in Denmark since ancient times. Strangest of all, however, was the rope around the corpse's neck. Indeed, it had been what killed him, but who could have done such a thing and why? Sensing that the body was something far older, the authorities, in turn, turned it over to the local museum the experts of whom would provide the Danish public, as well as the rest of the world, a more definitive answer. I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to this edition of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us, and today we're going to meet a most remarkable man, one who died over two millennia ago, yet continues to pique our interest and offers us a glimpse into our distant past. When one thinks of mummies, no doubt ancient Egypt comes to mind. After all, their mummies are unanimously considered to be the most famous in the entire world, and are remarkably preserved after three thousand years. This is due to the fact that they were painstakingly prepared by a process of embalming that would ensure that the body would remain in generally good condition in the dry, arid desert in which their civilization was based. But not all mummification processes throughout the world had to undergo such precise and detailed steps. Some occurred naturally, as was the case with the famed Greenland mummies of the Kilakitsuk archaeological site on the island's Nuswak Peninsula. Buried under a rock in the cold, frigid temperatures, the eight bodies discovered in 1972 were essentially freeze-dried, leaving their skin, hair, and internal organs intact. It's under this latter category of natural processes that the aforementioned bog body falls under, and the environment in which it was discovered is truly unique, ecologically speaking. I'm by no means a scientist, so bear with me for a second, as things get a bit scientific in here. A bog is a type of freshwater wetland upon which peat is accumulated as a result of dead plant material. In fact, peat is comprised almost entirely of dead or decaying flora. Bogs are typically found in cool northern climates, such as those of Denmark, the Netherlands, Great Britain and Ireland, among others. More often than not, they're formed in lake basins with poor drainage, many of which were created by glaciers during the Ice Age. Over the millennia, the peat that is formed has turned into a thick, muddy soup of sorts that's both highly acidic and lacking in oxygen, so much so that it can perfectly preserve all organic matter that falls into it. Such was the case with the body that Emil and Viggo Hoigart discovered on that fateful morning in 1950, and was the reason why they mistook it for a recent murder victim. Shortly after the bog body's discovery, it was given the moniker Tulland Man by local newspapers, after the nearby town from which the two brothers hailed. Needless to say, the name quickly caught on and is now known the world over. Upon closer inspection, it was clear that the victim wasn't as young as initially thought. Due to the bog's natural preservation processes, the body had shrunk considerably since being buried within it. Tall and man, therefore, was deemed to be somewhere in his late thirties or early forties at the time of his death. Though only dressed in the aforementioned sheepskin and wool cap and leather belt, it's believed that he was fully clothed when buried, but that the peat's heavy acid content dissolved these materials over time. His hair was cut short and cropped so close to his head that it was almost entirely hidden within that selfsame cap. There was slight stubble, too, about 0.039 inches, or one millimeter in length, on his upper lip and chin, suggesting that he was often clean-shaven, but hadn't shaved on the day of his passing. But strangest and most sinister of all was that animal hide noose tied tightly around his neck, but we'll get to that shortly. The Silkeborg Museum's first order of business was to conduct a radiocarbon dating test to determine when exactly the corpse had been buried. Because such conservation techniques weren't as advanced then as they are now, this would mean overexposure to the elements, the likes of which could damage or even destroy the delicate remains. Faced with this dilemma, the forensic examiners at the time suggested that the head be removed from the body and preserved separately after much deliberation a decision was reached and the head was severed and put into safe storage while the rest of the body stayed unpreserved so it was that the team set to work the various tests carried out on Tullenman man revealed some startling information about him bringing his story to life after over two millennia the radiocarbon dating showed that he had died sometime between 405 and 380 b c in a period of north european and scandinavian history now referred to as the pre-roman iron age In addition, an isotope test provided further details of his travels and whereabouts up to a year prior to his death. Taking samples from both his hair and femur bone, the forensics experts were able to deduce that he had likely stayed in Denmark during that time, having traveled only within 20 miles, or 32 kilometers, of his home. X-rays taken on the head and body revealed that the internal organs, including the brain, heart, liver, and lungs, were all incredibly preserved due to the high acidity and lack of oxygen found within the peat so pristine in fact were the organs that researchers were even able to examine the content within tullen man's stomach and intestines they revealed that his final meal had been a porridge of sorts a common dish at the time comprised of about forty different types of seeds and grains both wild and cultivated most notably flax not grass, barley, and false flax, also known as camelina sativa. During that initial autopsy, it was deemed that Tollenman had died by hanging and not by strangulation. This was seemingly corroborated by the rope around his neck, but a re-examination carried out 52 years later showed that the cervical vertebrae in the neck, those which are usually broken during hanging, were intact. His tongue, however, was distended—a surefire indication that he had suffocated as a result of hanging. But the biggest question surrounding Tullin man remains. Why was he hanged in the first place? Was he a convicted criminal, shunned by the society in which he was living, and sentenced to hang for his crimes? Or was he, even more chillingly, murdered in cold blood, hung from a tree by bandits or robbers when he refused to relinquish his possessions? I'm happy to report that neither historians nor archaeologists believe that it was either one of these two circumstances, though the generally accepted theory is still somewhat troubling, but makes sense given the time period in which Tulland man lived. Based upon the evidence, it's believed that this particular bog body was the unfortunate victim of a human sacrifice, a common practice in the pre-Roman Iron Age societies of Northern Europe and Scandinavia. In those days, natural occurrences, floods, droughts, blizzards, lunar and solar eclipses, even sunshine, were all thought to be the work of the gods. When the weather was good and the harvest was bountiful, these Iron Age peoples thanked the gods for these blessings. But when times were hard, they felt that these deities were angry with them, and therefore needed to be appeased. Enter Tulland Man, who likely was chosen as the sacrificial victim during one such difficult year. He was offered a final meal, the aforementioned porridge of seeds and grains, hanged from a tree until dead and ceremoniously buried buried in the bog in the hopes that the gods would curb their rage. But why of all people was he chosen? How were the human sacrifices selected in these ancient rites? The truth of the matter is that we cannot say for sure, at least not at this time. While the concept of human sacrifice is reprehensible and barbaric to us, it unfortunately was an uncommon in pre-Roman Iron Age Danish society, and was, in fact, a decidedly ordinary practice in several ancient cultures. Think of the Mayans in Mesoamerica. While he knew of the fate that awaited him, it's unlikely that he'd ever even consider that his remains would one day be studied in depth, and that he'd become the one link connecting us with our archaic past. What separates Tollanman from other bog bodies is the level of natural preservation he underwent. He truly is remarkable in that he's easily the best preserved of them all, at least at this time. He offers us a glimpse not only into a distant culture from which we've been removed for some time, but also a fascinating study of human history and the ways early complex societies operated. Perhaps there are other, even better preserved bodies waiting to be found in the Bialsko dal peat Bog and others throughout Europe, ones whose stories are waiting to be retold after several generations and millennia. Thanks for listening. I hope you weren't bogged down by this episode. Get it? Like a Bog. Ugh, never mind. Madcap humor aside, I hope you enjoyed this episode and found it enlightening. I've some neat and interesting topics lined up in the coming weeks, so be sure to stay tuned. You can find my podcast on all streaming platforms or by visiting anchor.fm/slash history loves company. You can also support me in my work by clicking the support button while there, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans to fit any budget or monetary situation, especially in these trying times. Listening and sharing also help me in big ways, so please do so wherever you get your podcasts. Join me again next week as we explore Korea's ancient indigenous religion right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.